0: Welcome to the Association 4.0 Podcast, your association's no-fluff playbook to navigating and thriving in Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Each week, we bring expert insights to help you and your association stay ahead of the curve.
1: Hello, my name is Sherry Budziak, and I am the host of the Association 4.0 Podcast, I am also co-founder of .org Community and founder and CEO of .org Source, a consultancy to associations. Today, my guests are Don and Al D. This father and son are both incredible innovators and thought leaders in the association space. Don was a co-founder of Fusion Productions and Digital Now, a premier conference for associations and nonprofit leaders. He is also an author, speaker, and entrepreneur. His career includes serving on multiple boards of directors and a long association and frequent collaborations with ASAE and its foundation. Son Al is the founder of Edge of Work. He is a speaker, entrepreneur, consultant, and podcast host who advises leaders across industries, helping them understand workplace challenges and the implications of people and organizations. Welcome, Don and Al. Thanks for joining me today.
0: Thank you, Sherry. Thanks, Sherry.
1: So, as my listeners know, I am passionate about helping leaders develop skills for navigating fast paced digital markets. This conversation is one of several that I'm inviting guests to discuss their strategies and advice for future success in this new environment. It's exciting to have the opportunity to explore this topic from the perspective of Don's deep experience and Al's emerging talent. So let's get started. So Don, you're a technophile who has watched much of the digital story unfold. What do you see are the big impacts for associations over the next five years, and how should leaders prepare to adapt to those changes?
2: Well, first of all, Sherry, digital transformation is not only a necessity, but also an opportunity for associations to enhance their value proposition, to reach new audiences, and to create new revenue streams. Associations that embrace digital innovation and adapt a customer-centric, member-centric mindset can really leverage data and analytics, and emerging technologies to deliver personalized and engaging experiences, products and services to meet their members and stakeholder needs. So, for example, digital philanthropy is widely favored among donors and the nonprofits they support. Nonprofits have reported a 77% online revenue over the past five years, while email still holds only 13% of online giving. Successful email fundraising can require a bit of a strategy. For example, I know at the Guide Dog Foundation, which I serve as board chair, our CEO, who admittedly is an incredible fundraiser, has increased the net worth of the organization threefold from 20 million to 60 million in three years. He's also doubled our revenue from 10 million to 22 million in that time frame. So, in a period of incredible uncertainty, COVID, and all the other changes that are going on, he's really done an admirable job. You know, digital events, a second area is a major strategy component for associations moving forward as they offer more flexibility, accessibility, and scalability than the traditional face-to-face environment. Associations can now create engaging and interactive virtual experiences while also addressing the challenges of technology, security, and quality, and can benefit from increased attendance, satisfaction, and retention of their members and sponsors. And finally, I think digital skills are essential for association staff and leaders to navigate the changing landscape and to harness the potential of digital tools and platforms. It's fundamentally about change management. Associations that invest in training, development, and recruitment of digital talent can foster a culture of innovation and collaboration and empower their teams to deliver value and impact for their members. Now, these are just a couple of the possible impacts of digital on associations over the next five years.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. So Al, from your perspective, I'm interested to hear how you're seeing the environment of work changing and what employers can do to ensure that they have access to the best talent. Don talked about training and how that's important. And I was just on the call with the CEO group this morning, and we were talking about the challenges with talent and then the challenges with our expectations of talent coming into jobs new in their career. So we'd love to hear your perspective.
0: All the things that Don is suggesting, I think a lot of that really comes back to, you know, what is the strategy of an association? And the point that I would make is that any business strategy needs people, it needs talent. So your talent strategy is very much. A part of your business strategy. So I think that's the first piece. And so anything that you want to do, you are going to need the talents and skills in order to do it. And being able to map the talent and how it's going to enable the business strategy that you have and making sure that you have it is a starting point for the conversation. And to your point, I think what that ultimately amounts to is that for employers, in order for them to have access to the best talent, they need to fundamentally understand not just why they're hiring talent, but why talent wants to hire them. I think in any job interview that you go into, obviously, if you're a job candidate, you're often thinking about, well, why is this company going to hire me? And I think the opportunity for leaders of associations as they think about their talent strategy is to fundamentally think about why are people hiring us? You know, why does someone want to come work here? Why do they want to come here to use their own talent, their own skills to drive impact? And that is a very unique and personal thing that everyone kind of has for themselves. But I think there is a conversation to be had about out using that mindset so that you can attract the best talent and find ways to craft a value proposition that makes someone want to come work for your association and feel inspired to do so. I think another thing is this general idea that particularly when we are competing for top talent, your leaders need to be talent magnets. They need to be thinking about how are they going to as leaders attract the best people to come work for you? You know, particularly in this digital age where the technology that we have it allows people to be connected far better than they did before. And again, the opportunity there for every leader is to think about how are you creating a network of people who might want to come work for you, who might want to be a part of the mission that you have. And then maybe the last, you know, I guess, bucket of things, I mean, is really coming down to when you think about having the best access of talent is just making sure that they have the ability to do their best work. And that starts getting into things like flexibility, like training, like having great managers and leaders. And certainly those are things we could get into. But I think the message that I have for people in terms of thinking about, well, how do we make sure that we have the best talent? Well, I think a starting point of the conversation really is, A, how does your talent strategy map to your business strategy? How do you find ways to understand why people want to hire you? And how do you turn your leaders into talent magnets?
1: Those are some really good points. I had an interesting conversation. I'm Trying to get every friend that I have to have their kids that have graduated from college work for associations. So it's interesting because what I'm hearing is the feedback from the other side, right? They're coming back from interviews and they're saying, oh, I could never work for that organization. One HR person told a friend of mine's daughter that the only reason that she was there was because of her connection. And she was like, okay, why are we wasting our time? So to your point, it's like thinking really about both sides of that to attract the best talent. The flip side of that I think is really important is understanding the culture and having the right fit too um, and you talk a lot about that so knowing that they are going to be comfortable in the culture that you've created in your organization so anyway those are some really good points so Don a different question is someone who has served on multiple boards what does the ideal board look like in the future and how will governance and behavior change do you think
2: yeah that's a great question i think you know the essence I think of particularly for associations and nonprofits is is really the board that is the work of the board is the strategic view I think adopting a behavioral governance approach that focuses on modifying board members' behaviors for the sake of peak performance based on a framework of behavioral reinforcement, a psychodynamic approach, collective efficacy, and adaptive leadership, I think, is key. Now, Now, developing habits of highly effective board members include setting strategy, strategic direction, ensuring that the educational talent is there, quality the effective ability to engage stakeholders, particularly for board chairs, cultivating a culture of inquiry, probably the biggest thing is if I could summarize it in key points. One is is make sure you have people who align with the mission. It's very clear in, in the boards that I've chaired, people are there for themselves, it's not a good fit. If they buy into the mission and if they have good listening skills, those are very basic things that you learn in kindergarten. Learning how to listen means that you have to think and do homework in order to be able to ask good questions. So I think that those are key. I think the other piece is following the principles of purpose-driven boards, board leadership, and prioritize the organization's purpose. Respect the ecosystem in which they operate because it's one thing to be in a university or a nonprofit organization, but you also have to understand that environment, what the environment's going through, commit to equity and recognize that power has got to be authorized by people they aim to help. And finally, addressing the behavioral psychology issues that pull back boards, such as deference to authority. Well, that's the way we did it. Groupthink, preference to the status quo, and confirmation biases.
1: So, Al, what cultural shifts do you feel are needed to accommodate those qualities and attitudes?
0: I think to a lot of what Don's suggesting, again, I think the big couple of things that I think that come to mind are, the first is this idea of, being able to sense and respond. And it's just this idea that with all the changes that exist in the world and in your market or in your industry, they're not going to go away. And so particularly as a board, I think what that ultimately means is that you need to continuously be sensing what's going on and then being able to quickly respond in ways that still promote governance, but being able to be in an work in an intentional and proactive manner versus being in a unintentional and reactive manner. And so that duality of being able to sense and scan and then respond appropriately and being able to have tight feedback loops between the two, I think is going to be really important for any association and particularly the board of an association, which should be thinking both in the present, but also obviously in the future. You know, I think a little bit what Don is saying is just this idea of being able to blend both confidence as well as humility. It's really hard in a complex world to be right about everything. And so I think that for a board to be able to be confident in the decisions that they make or the direction they want to take, but still being humble enough to understand that it's hard to bat a thousand, right? Like it just, it just is. There are too many interdependencies, too many variables. And quite frankly, if you're getting everything right, there's an argument to be made that you're probably not taking big enough swings. And so there is this kind of dual blend of both being able to be confident in the direction you're moving as well as humble. Then the last thing I would say is at the end of the day, even in this world of technology, business, and regardless of if you're in the nonprofit or for-profit sector, like it's fundamentally about people. I like to say that in particular, I think leaders, and particularly leaders of boards, really need to have what I call people smarts. And just this general idea of really being able to understand what are the values that your leaders have and how are those actions that they're taking really aligned to those values? Because- that's going to make whatever vision you have for your board really come to life. You know, People are going to actually believe that what you're saying, when they can see that the values that you have are being enacted upon through like your actions. And that ability to have that awareness of how you can impact people through your alignment between the values and the actions, I think that's what's going to inspire people to, to eventually take action and to, to take heed of your message.
1: I have a question for you guys around innovation. I think innovation is going to be crucial to keep Pace with the market so I'd like to hear how both of you think leaders can make space for creativity in their organizations and more specifically how can they balance stability with development and growth so Don why don't you get started
2: well I certainly creativity is really going to be essential for the associations to innovate adapt and thrive in a digital world but creating space for creativity can be challenging and I think you know building off of what Alex said that I think You know, he said in the context of a little bit about boards, but I think trust is really the third leg of that stool, because Mm -hmm. if you take mission, you take listening skills and you take trust, that's what's needed in order to be able to balance creativity in an organization, because the leader is going to be making tough decisions and they're all going to be filled with risk. So what is key for a leader is to be able to ask inspiring questions. Can, Can a leader tap the imagination of employees at all ranks? Ask questions that challenge assumptions, really key. Spark curiosity and invite exploration. Value novel ideas. Leaders can model a creative mindset and show an appreciation for new and diverse perspectives. And the organization and people have to believe that some decisions are going to work. He's going to be taking, he or she's taking risk. Um, and, and overall, they're going to, the track record is, is self-proving on that. You know, I think the second thing is that you're going to need to allow time and space for creativity. You know, if you don't, then you say, well, this is just one part of your job and just fit it in a 24-hour workday. That, that doesn't cut it. You really have to put dedicated time in there so because it involves other people. It's not just you individually thinking about it, but you've got to get team members in. you got to get the water cooler there for people so that they can talk and give feedback and support. I think the third thing is you've got to facilitate creative collaboration. Leaders can leverage technologies and platforms to enable employees to share ideas. And you're not just limited to here in the United States or any place around the world, you can reach your teams and you can reach other experts in the conversation. I think the fourth thing is developing new skills and competencies. This doesn't happen on its own. Having that core, you know, sense of attitude and commitment is key. But once a person's in the organization, a lot of these things take time to develop and they need to be led training management training. And I I harp on this a lot. I think that's one of the single most undervalued assets that organizations have is how do you provide good first line management training to folks? And, And I think momentum has allowed organizations to punt on this a little bit, but sooner or later it's going to catch up because Organizations, good organizations, hire good people with good attitudes, and they will sit there and fight their way through dealing with, why are you going home and taking care of your daughter, et cetera. Those are just the realities for an organization. So helping people develop those skills is key. And finally, I think the last thing, and probably just as important as the others, is the recognition and reward. If you don't have your compensation structure in place that recognizes uh, people uh, for their performance, then it's all for naught. So I think those are five critical things. Asking inspiring questions, allow time and space for creativity, facilitate collaboration, developing new skills and competencies, and make sure that that recognition and reward is in place.
1: Yeah, that's great. Al, do you have anything to add to that?
2: I agree with
0: all of those. I think one or two things I would add. So I think the first thing is just being able to find ideas by getting out and finding ideas. And I think something that I've always respected about both of you is that you have made spaces for people to do that and you have done that yourselves. Being able to innovate isn't something that is a single player sport. It's a team sport, right? And it requires having diverse perspectives and opinions. And and so I think particularly for leaders, if you want to see that happen in your organization, number one, you have to do that, right? Because that's what you need to do to innovate. But then I also think that as a leader, if you want your organization to do that, like that's something that you need to make the space for your people to do as well. I think that's the first thing. And then I would say the second thing that I think is really important is just to Don's point, innovation doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not a flashbang in the pan. Sometimes it takes time to marinate. And so it's really hard sometimes because there are so many things that we all have to get done on our to-do lists, but it's just this acknowledgement that there are outsized returns when we can really come up with something new and novel. And so actually making and carving out the time and making it a priority, even if it may not necessarily seem like it is yielding benefits in the short term, if you want that asymmetrical upside, you do have to make some investment upfront in terms of creating that space to allow your people to think of new things or to try new things in new ways.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I was saying that to my team just recently. I said, you know, I haven't had the headspace. Like I need to have the Mm -hmm. headspace to have that creativity and kind of think about the what's next or what's new or whatever that is. And when you're going, 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 you don't have that space. So as a leader, and I see CEOs not doing this very well, they're more focused on the tasks and the projects and when can they get done and the staff doesn't have that space. And then they wonder why they're not moving to the next level or they're not creating new or the staff's not thinking that way. So those are some really good points. And to Don's point, the training, and I've been doing some presentations lately around AI. And I did a case study with an association exec that some people in the audience did not receive well because he said I just give my staff the space to explore and they're like what they're like caution to the wind but he's like they need the space to explore and then come back and say how we can use these tools and this is what we can do and it's not necessarily training but again it's kind of more self-exploration or self-education right and giving them the space and giving them the possibilities to think what's next for the organization so I think all your points are really important on a slightly different topic I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are on how the role of associations in society is changing. Is it expanding, contrasting, or completely reshaping? And do you think organizations will be revisiting their missions? Do you see them taking on new responsibilities? And we were just having this discussion earlier today. Has social media kind of changed the landscape of perception? And what do associations need to be thinking about not just being on social media, but the way that people are perceiving the organization? So anyway, I'd love to hear kind of your perspective, Al, and then we'll ask Don the same question.
0: It's a good question. And I think it's one of those always existential questions that is always top of mind to forward thinkers in the space. So I'll offer a couple of things. I mean, I think first and foremost, I still think that connection and affiliation is an opportunity for associations. And I just think about Dr. Vivek Murphy, who, the U.S. Surgeon General, who's put out the report about the loneliness crisis that exists in the United States, mm-hmm. um, and not just mm-hmm. the United States, I think broader than that. And so I think regardless of all the things that we've been through over the past couple of years and even before the pandemic, there is a want and desire for people to connect fundamentally. It's just what we're wired to do as humans. And I do think that there is still an opportunity for associations to play, not just in the personal well-being piece, but also in the, the relationships you develop professionally that people need in order to advance in their career from a social capital perspective. So I absolutely think connection and affiliation is one. I think collective action towards results is still another one. Cherry, you brought the point about AI. I mean, I think that we're already starting to see it in pockets and pieces. If you look at some of the labor negotiations that some industry organizations and associations have been having, AI has come front and center. That's a really good example where collective action is really needed. You know, in some cases, we're encountering something that we really haven't really ever encountered of the magnitude before. And I just have a hard time believing that when we're encountering something so new that the problem is going to be solved by everyone being in their corners. No, the problem is going to be solved when people take collective action. And again, that's something where associations have traditionally done well. In my world, I see a role particularly for learning and lifelong learning. People are working older in their lives and careers are getting longer. And so I think there's going to be a continued need to kind of give people career accelerators at various points in their journey so that they can continue to evolve as the world and markets kind of evolve. And so I think associations play a role there. And then maybe last and not least, and this is a little existential, but I think probably within the next three to five years, I think collectively, at least in the United States, we're going to have to start asking ourselves some fundamental questions about the role of work in society and what that is, what that entails, particularly with what could be coming with the advancements in technology and That, again, is something where I I don't believe that we're going to solve this one on our own in our corners. Like, I think collective action is needed. And again, I think that's just
2: an opportunity where associations could really play a role.
1: Some great thoughts. Dan?
2: So I think on the question of mission, I think it's a great question because associations are organizations that represent the interests and goals of a specific group of people or professionals. They often have a mission statement that defines their purpose, their vision. And describes their future state and value statements. However, the reality is that the world is also changing rapidly, especially in a digital world, and associations may need to revisit their mission vision, etc., to help continue to inspire their members and their stakeholders. Now, some of the reasons why I think associations need to revisit their mission and vision are it has to be adapted to the changing needs and preferences of their members and communities. I think the fundamental core mission is going to be there unless the people revisit it. They may decide that the world has changed. So, for example, chapters, you know, many organizations years ago just said, ah, you know, let them meet them because doctors need to have a town hall meeting or some sort. And then all of a sudden you had chapters start to separate from four national organization. So, that lack of recognition of what does that mission, you know, what does that really mean to us in a world that is global and local at the same time? I think organizations have to respond to emerging challenges and opportunities, because the world is a smaller world today, a smaller footprint. You have members throughout the world today and you have connections that need to be made. So understanding the challenges and opportunities in front of us is certainly a point that you want to look at from a mission standpoint, particularly as you do your strategic plan. For example, at the Guide Dog Foundation and at Excelsior University, we develop a five-year plan and people have all said, well, you should do a three-year plan so long. You know, our mission and our core goals have not changed in the last 25 years and 20 of them which I've been at the foundation. But what has changed is our objectives and our measurement criteria, because we state in our objectives that we are going to be the most successful organization in supporting the needs of veterans and first responders. And we hope to achieve these levels by these years. But the reality sets in when we sit in and say, well, COVID kind of stopped that from happening. So how do we sit there and get ourselves back on track? So we adjust the objectives of the organization and we adjust the objectives of the CEO. You have to be cognizant of the emerging challenges and opportunities. I think one of the areas, a very specific one, is to be a supportive and inclusive culture that fosters creativity, collaboration, and learning. And you're going to have to develop skills and competencies for staff and leaders to support that. So revisiting the mission is going to be challenging for organizations. But if you don't do that, then you stand a high probability of not staying relevant to your core mission and to your core stakeholders.
1: So, Don, you've given us some really great advice, but kind of to follow up on that, what advice do you have for current and future association leaders? And what do you think they should lean into or what should they avoid? A
2: couple things. From the standpoint of leaning in, I think assuming that most of the association leaders have you know, to be in the role that they're in today, quite a task because there are a lot of people in the organizations they represent in the corporate world who kind of see that role as an association leader and executive as a very prestigious role because you are the face of the trade organization. You are the face of the professional organization. You have to bring your A game. In order to bring your A game, you need to develop the diverse experiences. You need to build the coalition and network need to work the ground forces to ensure that you have not only the right organization team, but at the end of the day, the responsibility for ensuring that you have a board that is rich in experience and dialogue and is inclusive is all on you. You may say that you have an advisory group who identifies capabilities and all of many of our associations have matrices that they look at and say, well, this is the kind of board members we need. We need so many of these. We need so many of these that represent that. But you have to shape what that looks like because people are going to look to you to say, you know, Don D is really, really strong in these areas, but he really is not that really good in these areas. And those honest discussions have got to take place in order to ensure that you have the right people on the bus on that side. So I think having that responsibility really falls on ensuring that the mission is there and that you have the right people on the bus and that you foster an environment that allows people to, and enables people to have that kind of critical discussions on an ongoing basis.
1: You made a comment about the face of the association is the executive director or CEO. And we were talking about like in this world of social media, how important that is for public perception and maybe even advocacy and where you're kind of taking a stand. And it's an interesting conversation, probably one that we can have at another point. We kind of said, so then does that become like public perception as the association of one? And if you really start to think about it with anything or anybody in the industry and board that you're on, I think about the CEO when we think about the organization. So I don't know. This is an interesting conversation, but Al, do you have any additional thoughts or comments?
0: Yeah. Being in that role, it's a lot, but I would say like two things. The first is figuring out what are the most important decisions that you need to be making and really honing in and staying laser focused on those. There's so many things that you can be doing. And part of your job, I think as a CEO is to use that judgment to be able to make those calls. And then to, you know, when you can delegate or bring in the right people to not have to make those or who can make the other ones doing that. So I think that would be the first thing. And then I think the second thing is always just thinking about, you know, for whatever it is that we are doing, do we have the right people with the right skills in the room to do whatever this thing is? You cannot, as the leader, be in every single room and you have to rely on the people that you have in order to scale the impact that you're making. And so I think part of it really is going back to if you believe, you know, as Don mentioned, you did your job in terms of bringing the right people on the bus, well then, how are you making sure that they're in the right seats? And so I think right. that would be the other thing that I would add.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We see that a lot too, where we're like, that's a really great staff person that you want to get rid of. They're just in the wrong seat. Like, Let's just move them. And then if they are in the right seat, they thrive. It's really kind of taking that step back because I think that as leaders, you can be reactionary and say, well, this isn't working, but really kind of taking that (laughs) other perspective of doing something different than you've done before. So, well, thank you so much for this great conversation. It's always great to talk to both of you. And thanks to our listeners. I hope you enjoyed this episode. So if somebody wants to get in contact with you guys, how can they do that? I'll let you go first.
0: Feel free to just find me on LinkedIn.
1: Al's got a podcast on LinkedIn and other great content. So it's a great place to find Aldi and Don.
2: Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well.
1: All right, great. Well, thanks to both of you today. I really appreciate it.
2: Well, thank, thank you, Sherry, for all the for the work that you do. I think this is an incredible asset for our our ecosystem. So uh, keep doing it, and all the success to you and your children.
1: All right, great, thank you. Bye-bye.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. .org source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and
2: marketing. Please contact us at info at orgsource.com or visit www.orgsource.com to find out how to keep your
0: organization on track to Association 4.0.